If you'll please open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 3. I'm going to be reading verses 14 through 21 today. Please stand as we read God's holy word. Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. Paul writes this, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, together with all of God's holy people, to grasp how wide and long, how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is God's holy word given to you. Please have a seat. I once heard a a pastor share a story that made me chuckle. He, He was asking, he went up to a church member and he asked him, he said, listen, we need to set up some chairs for the Sunday service can you help? And the guy looked at him and in all seriousness replied, I'll have to pray on that. And the pastor was incredulous. He said, you you have to pray on that? You have to run this by the almighty king of the universe to give you a thumbs up or thumbs down whether you can take 10 minutes to help me set up some chairs. And the guy's like, yeah, I guess I do. I don't know. It just made me think that sometimes we don't use our prayer for things that we should be using our prayer for. Sometimes we pray things that probably don't need to be prayed. Uh, Maybe we don't need to be praying to God to ask God, God, should I love my neighbor? God's already answered that pretty firmly in the Bible. We maybe need to pray and ask God to help us love our neighbor, but we don't need to ask Him to do that. We don't need to pray to ask God whether or not we should help people if we have the means and the ability to do it. We should just do it. And we shouldn't be going to the Almighty King and reading out our Amazon wish list to Him because we have nothing else to pray about. My point is, we have all heard insubstantial or pointless prayers. Maybe we've even prayed them in our lives. Maybe we don't have something to pray, so we're just saying words to fill up dead air. I think it's okay when we pray if sometimes there's just silence. Sometimes we just sit and think. But what does a prayer with purpose and substance look like? What does it sound like? A prayer that really means something. I think we get exactly that here in Ephesians 3. It's one of the most famous prayers of all the Bible. It's one of the most moving prayers. I think every time I read it, I just get chills. Just thinking of these words. And as Paul is delivering this this beautiful, poignant, substantial prayer, I think what really hits home is that he's not just praying it to God in general, but he's praying it for us. He's praying it for the church. He's praying it for you. Whenever I hear somebody 
who's an apostle of God, praying the inspired words of God for my life. I kind of sit up and take notice of that. I pay attention. This is, this is God's prayer for you. This is Paul's prayer for you. So let's dig into three specific things that Paul wants to pray for your life, to enrich your life, to make your life better, to benefit you. So let's look at that. First of all, God, Paul prays for God to give you strength. Now usually when we use that, when we say, I'm praying for God to give you strength, almost always we're referring to somebody going through a hard time in their life. You're going through a struggle. You're going through some personal hardship. And so we're praying that God gives you strength to endure another day, to get through what you're going through. But that's not what Paul's praying here. He is praying for strength, but it's in a different way. He's praying that God will strengthen our souls so that we can handle more of Jesus Christ in our life. If your Bibles are still open, look at verses 16 and 17 again with me. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, you remember those unsearchable riches he was just talking about? Those glorious riches that he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now here's an interesting bit of trivia to impress your relatives at Thanksgiving coming up. This is the only verse in the entire Bible that talks about Christ, Jesus Christ, dwelling in your heart. This is the only verse. We, it's alluded to in many other places, but specifically mentioned, this is it, Ephesians 6, or Ephesians 3, 17. It's amazing. We talk about Christ living in our hearts so often that we think it's every other verse in the Bible, but here it's very clearly spelled out for us. At the moment of our conversion, the door to our heart is opened. We open it to God and through faith, and in our inmost being is open to Jesus to come in, to dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. But what does that look like when Jesus steps in that door for the first time? Somebody who's just newly converted. Somebody who has never had faith before, but now they have faith and that door is open, and he comes in and he looks around. What does he find? Let's be honest. He finds a mess. He finds an absolute wreck of a dump. He finds a place that has just been riddled with sin, that's falling down, it's in, in irrepair, and needs a lot of help. That's what he finds. It reminds me of those, those home makeover shows. I get so addicted to watching those. I think the only time I really do is when I'm at the doctor's or the dentist, and that's what they have on the TV. And they're like, Justin, would you like to come? And no, 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 I want to see how this ends, right? Because those, those shows are so addicting. At the beginning, what do they do? They go to the house. It's just, it's like this house was probably haunted very severely the week before. And these builders, they come in and they put their fists on their, their hips and they open the door and they look around. They're like, oh man, this is bad. This is bad. And they go room by room and they point out just what's wrong in every single room of the house. And it's just it's this litany of things that's like, you know, there's termites in the wood and black mold in the back bathroom and this, this outlet here sparking probably shouldn't do that. And this wallpaper matches nothing else in the house and, you know, on and on and on it goes. And at the end of it, you go, you know, you feel like this is a hopeless case. You feel like they, the only thing that should be done 
is to take a crane and knock in it. But they don't do that. They say, we can make it better. And so over the course of a very quick montage, they grab their hammer, they grab their crowbars, and they get to work. They start ripping out stuff. That's so cathartic to see. Getting that wallpaper out there, getting that black mold out. They rip out all the bad stuff, and then slowly but surely, they transform a mess into a mansion. And by the end of the show, you're just transfixed at what an expert renovator can do that nobody thought possible. Take something that was a, just a rundown dump and make it beautiful. That right there is exactly the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He doesn't come into the lives of perfect people. He comes into the lives of people who's it's just they've got sin. They're run down. They're a mess. They're a hopeless case. And the Holy Spirit puts his hands, his fists on his hips, and says, "I can do something with this. I can make it better." And so. He starts renovating it bit by bit, transforming us. That's what Paul is praying for God to do in our life. That's the first thing he prays. He says, God, come in and strengthen them. Strengthen them in the building sense so that no longer we have a weak structure, but it's strong. It's a strong place so that Christ Jesus can move into it. And Paul says, he's basically saying, if you're reading between the lines, that there are a lot of blessings that are on their way to a believer's life. But unless your life is strong, you can't handle those blessings. He wants your life to become stronger and stronger so that you're able to handle all that Christ Jesus wants to give to you. In a good sense. We Christians can't handle massive blessings. So we want to become stronger and stronger for that. So have we ever had a moment in our prayer life We've just had very honest prayers with God. And we've said, dear Lord, I know I'm still broken, but you can make me whole. I know I sin, but you can help me overcome temptation. I know my faith isn't as strong as it should be, but you can increase it. Lord, come in and work on me. Work on me and make me stronger. And the good news is that he does exactly that. 2 Corinthians 4.16 tells us, do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, that's Paul's tactful way of saying, you're getting old, you're getting old, your outer self is wasting away, your inner self is being renewed day by day. Even as your body falls apart, you're like your arms on the floor and your joints are creaking, he says on the inside, you're stronger than you've ever been. You're a stronger Christian than you were on the day of your conversion. If you could only see how strong you are, you'd praise God for that. That's his first prayer for us. The second prayer is that we would be able to grasp the love of Jesus. During the time of Napoleon's conquest of that whole kerfluffle over there in Europe, a bunch of his soldiers uncovered a dungeon. And they found out that this dungeon actually dated to the Spanish Inquisition. And as they went down there with torches and they investigated the place, they found a prisoner that had been chained to the wall. And this prisoner had been chained there, left to die. He was now just a skeleton. And nearby on the wall, when they shone their torches, they found an inscription on the wall. And it was this. It said, height, depth, width, length. And in the middle of it, Jesus. Even as that man 
We don't know who he was. But even as he was suffering, even as he was dying, he was captivated by the love of Jesus. The same captivation that grips Paul here in Ephesians 3. And that's all he could think about. And that's what Paul wants us to think about. Paul is looking and he's rejoicing at a church that is visibly growing in their love for each other and in their love for God. And again, we would think Paul would pray, the common sense prayer would be, Paul would pray that God would increase our love. Now that's a prayer we pray elsewhere in the Bible, but it's not what he prays here. He sees that Christians have a deep foundational love, and he wants to channel that to a purpose. So he prays here. What he desires and what he prays for is that the church together would engage in a spiritual exercise. That the church, he gives the church homework in the middle of his prayer. That's what he's doing here. He says this exploration of Jesus' love is something that he wants the church to engage in together. He wants us together to explore how large Christ's love is for us. Now that exploration of Christ's love is something we do every Sunday morning during worship service, isn't it? We sing of his love. We read of his love. We proclaim his love. We meditate on his love. We even give according to the loving measure that he has given to us. It's a great spiritual exercise. Paul tells us, break out those rulers. Get out those plumbing lines. Get those fancy laser range finders that your family got for you last Christmas and you've never used. Get them all out and start doing this. Start measuring how great the love of Christ is for you. Do it together. See how large it is. Is it, is it a meter long? Is it a mile long? Is it 20,000 leagues below the sea? Is it to the moon and back? How large is Christ's love for us? His prayer is that we can grasp it. And then in the next breath, he says, you can't do it. He says it surpasses what? Surpasses knowledge. You can't ever do it. You can start measuring from the time you're born to the time you die, and you will never get to the end of how large, how wide, how deep, how long, how great Christ's love is for you. But he says it's still an important thing to do. Why? If we can't ever figure it out, if we can't ever get the dimensions, the blueprints of Christ's love, why should we do that? Because we can live it. We can live it. It's like the little kid who goes up to his mom and says, Mommy, I love you six. Took his mom. And he real, she realized six was the biggest number he knew at the time. So he went up to her and said, I love you six. Maybe the next day he would say, I love you seven. I don't know. But that's kind of how it is when we're in Christ. When we love Christ, we love him as a reflection to how much we realize he loves us. And it grows a little bit more every day because we're having an increasing discovery with all of Christ's people about the width, depth, breadth, length of Christ's love. In the knowing of Christ's love, once you start realizing, once it starts pouring into you, and you have just this, you're overwhelmed with it, you start realizing if his love is so great, I can't measure it, then maybe, just maybe, it's great enough to forgive all of my sins. 
Maybe it's even bigger enough that it can control my future, that it can lay out my future before me and give me a future destiny. Maybe it's so great that He can love me no matter what. And that changes how you live in your life. That's why Paul is so adamant that we spend this time together looking at Christ's love. And finally, Paul prays that we would be filled with God. There's definitely a progression to Paul's prayer here. His first request is that believers be renovated on the inside so that we can receive the blessings of Jesus. His second part of the prayer is that we would work together to grasp how great Christ's love is for us. But his ultimate request comes at the end of verse 19 when he asks for us to be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Sounds good, but wrap your head around that for a minute. That we are to be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. How is that even possible? If God is so great and He is infinite and we are so small and we are finite, how can we be filled with the fullness of God? Only Christ Jesus can do that, right? In Colossians 2, it says that in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's the only one capable of taking in all of the fullness of God. But for us, it's a bit of a different situation. We have a limit to what we can hold. So to help us understand this verse, I want you to think back to when you had that science experiment where you had a cup and your, your teacher said, now how much can this cup hold? And he filled it to the brim and then he gave you like an eyedropper. He said, okay, now drop by drop, I want you to start adding to this cup. And you think, well, it's going to spill out. You know, it's already to the brim, right? But you don't, you don't understand as he's trying to teach you a little something about surface tension that you can start adding onto this cup and suddenly this dome will rise. And that cup can hold an awful lot more than you first realized. But eventually what happens? The surface tension breaks. The water spills. Now what if this happened? What if as you're filling that cup up, the cup just got a little bit bigger? And so you go, huh, that's strange. Never seen a cup do that. So you fill that to the, the brim. And right as it's about to get to the brim, right as it's about to spill over, cup gets a little bit bigger. Huh. You fill it a little bit more. And it keeps doing that. The cup keeps expanding so that it never quite overflows. It never is fully full. That is a picture of what Paul is asking God to do to our faith. When we are saved, the cup is small. We just have a little bit, maybe it's a thimble of faith, just enough to open the door of our hearts. But God works through that faith and he stretches and he pushes and he uses so much in our life to enlarge that faith. And every time the faith in our heart gets bigger, God rushes in to fill up all that space. He rushes in to fill every crack, every nook, every, every aspect of our life. And he saturates it. And then when we get just a little bit more faith, more and more and more. That's what Paul's praying here. That God will fill us to the brim, make us a little bit bigger, fill that up a little bit bigger. That continues even after you die. After you go to heaven, you're going to spend eternity and your faith it's just going to keep getting bigger and the cup's going to keep getting bigger and God's going to keep pouring himself more and more into you. It never ends. That's what we have to look forward to. It's an incredible process. But what does a life filled with God looks like? When you are marinated 
in God, when you're saturated fully to God, where He touches every aspect of your life, your relationships, your finances, your work, everything, what does it look like? You get to the point where your waking up is in God, your going to sleep is in God, everything between that is in God. You start living for God instead of yourself. And that is why Paul asks us we need to be praying that God is in every part of our life, that there's nowhere that is off limits, that we say, well, God, that's off limits in our life. When God is, we are full of God, there's nowhere we can hide that stuff. And so we just invite God into every part of our life, every decision you make, every interaction you have with somebody else. Every, everything you do is God-focused, God-centered, God-driven, God-empowered. That's Paul's prayer for you. The greatest request he can think of for the church, for its people, is that the Lord strengthens you to receive him, that we work together to grasp how great God's love for us is, and that we be filled up with the full measure of God. That's a, that's a pretty good prayer. That's a prayer of substance. It's a prayer I wish I could ever be able to say off the top of my head, but I'm not divinely inspired the way he is. Today I want us to end, not in my prayer, but I want to end in the words of Paul here. So let's bow. Let's receive the final words of his prayer to you. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us right now. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. About the, the ever-growing cup. I got really excited because when faith reaches that point, that's when it gets exciting. That's when it gets dangerous. That's when it changes our lives. And that's when it lets us start changing the lives of those around us. So a limitless love from God that affects us and a limitless faith, faith that cannot be limited by anything in this world or in our lives. It's an amazing combination when we start to be affected and affect the world with limitless love and limitless faith as Justin talked about this morning. On that note, go in peace. Amen.